Yo, 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 KK, what's up? Hey, Lo, what up, what up? Not a whole lot, just uh, doing our show with you, looking out the window. It's like 42 out today to where it's chilly, but it's not freezing. There's snow, but it's half, half melted. Much better than yesterday. Yesterday was a freezing, disgustingly yeah, the kids freezing. Had another, kids had another snow day. They had a snow day or like they a didn't cold have school. day? Well, cold day because of okay. the roads. I like okay. to call it a snow day, same thing. Same thing, yeah. Yeah. A Mich a Michigan day. <laughs> Just a Michigan day. I, however, still had to go to work, so whatever. <laughs> gotta get a you gotta get a job at a school. Then you'll get all the Seriously. snow days off. <laughs> I know, right? All the snow days, all the random small holidays. <laughs> that's what I do miss about because I worked at a school. Uh, for a few years and that's what I do miss about working at a school is all the time off you get <laughs> right I have to look into that yeah definitely a perk so I don't think I watched anything super exciting um, I am finishing Ginny and Georgia nice I have yet to start that uh, my daughter really pushed for me to do it. And I find a lot of people did watch it. She actually had a girlfriend stay the night and they came downstairs. She's like, oh my God, I like totally love this show. And she's like, stop everything, Charlotte. We have to watch some of this. And she like <laughs> sat down. So they sat downstairs with me and we were talking about the different characters and stuff. And then uh, I've been kind of not watching a lot of TV this week. I've just been busy or doing other things. And then the time I get to bed, I'm like so tired. I'm just womp. Right. Where you like can't even can't even like stay awake for another minute. Yeah. So the new season the of you is out. I saw that. And I know next Thursday, the new season of Outer Banks starts. Okay. I never got on that one. It's a good one. You should go watch it. I know. Your daughter always tells me. To Obsessed. watch it, I know, and I if I you still haven't, haven't watched it. Notice the big chicken with the coconuts with the joint in its mouth or wall. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> can't miss that. <laughs> uh, it all makes sense once you watch the show. Yeah, see, I don't. It doesn't click for me because I don't know really the reference, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely gonna. I don't know when, but I need to. I need to get on the the new season of you because I I love that show. Um, I said my goodbyes to Sammy. She went back to Nashville. Oh, she did leave. She did. Um, but she's coming back for Easter. So I got another um, old school thriller for me, you and her to watch. She's kind of like you. She likes that I bring the old school stuff. Yeah. Um, you introduce so, it to us. Yes. So I have another one that she was intrigued by that I was telling her about. So me, you and her are going to watch that one. Okay, cool. But Perfect. Not gonna announce it yet. It's a secret to all the listeners. Oh, you'll just keep tell, them on their. You'll just tell keep, me behind the scenes. <laughs> keep them on their feet. Keep them wanting. What, what are they gonna watch? What are they gonna watch? <laughs> What's next? <laughs> What's the next one they're doing? <laughs> I'm excited that that will be good. Yeah, I like the older ones because I mean I feel like if it if it's newer stuff like it's so. I don't know, like not oversaturated, but like everybody's seeing it and everybody's talking about it. We're like the old ones. 
if people haven't seen them or if it's been a while and it's like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this movie or whatever. I think that that just like is a nice, uh, a nice difference than just doing like all the new horror movies that come out now. And I like the horror movies that come out now, but the movies that I pick for you guys to watch are usually more psychological thrillers. Those or, are and they're, amazing they're just made, too. They're made differently. They're more movie movie. You know what yeah. I mean? It's hard to explain. No, a hundred percent. Like I feel like movies are so different today. Like, like just even the way that they're shot and like the way that they look, it just feels well, less realistic. Well, they're like, everything's dark. Everything is like insidious and smile and like the black phone. Everything is just very creepy and dark and gore Mm -hmm. and horror, which is fine. I'm totally into it. But sometimes a good story, that stuff in it, like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just like the psychological stuff. No, me too. Definitely. It adds like a nice like twist to it. And just straightforward. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're okay. Um, before we get into our story, though, I would like to take a minute and say um, a little peace prayer and let all the family and students and colleagues from Michigan State know that we are sending some prayers to them. Yeah, definitely another horrible, unnecessary tragedy involving a shooting it's just so out of hand and yeah I just feel horrible for everybody who was there and affected by it and the families too because it's just it's just so crazy to be be scared to go to school it's so terrible and horrible yeah Um, that should be one of the last places that people should be scared to be at so as much as I am a U of M fan clear um i am standing strong with state as of now right yeah yeah definitely hopefully they can find some peace and somehow try to get back to normalcy school which i don't know if that ever will be now right yeah horrible so on that note, let me bring you down another sad hole of my story. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Take us down uh, a dark hole, though. I wish I could say it was uplifting, but. Uh, that's okay. Most of ours are not. <laughs> Unless you listened last week, you got a little bit of a break with the fiction. <laughs> yes, last week's was pretty uh, an uplifting one, I'd say. <laughs> In ways. <laughs> So I'm taking you back to 1991, and this is a story out of Austin, Texas, and it is the Yogurt Shop Murders. So it's December 6th and 91 in Austin, Texas, and Eliza Thomas is getting ready for work, and she's working at the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt Shop. Uh, her starts at 7 p.m., which she's looking forward to go. She's a teenager. This means extra money. It's actually around Christmas time. So that means extra Christmas money. And she's working with her friend Jennifer Harbison, which she actually got Jennifer the job. So when your friends work with you, it's an extra benefit of going to work because what's better than working with your bestie until I quit. Oh, I knew it. I knew that was coming. (laughs) 
I was waiting for it when you so, said thugging. So there's 17 and they're working together. And if you can work with your girlfriend, it does. It makes life so much funner and easier. And I know funner is not really a word, but it is today. Okay. <laughs> it counts today. Now, like I said, it's December. So everybody's, you know, hyped up, good mood, Christmas. Places are busy because people are out Christmas shopping. So they're stopping for the extra coffees, ice creams, snacks. Um, their shift isn't that long, though, because, again, they are still minors. So their shifts are not very long. On this particular one, they were the only two scheduled to work. And they were scheduled from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. But they also had a couple of aces in their pocket. You see, they had a little bit of extra help on their side. Uh, Jennifer had a younger sister who was 15. Her name was Sarah. She was chilling at the mall down the road with her friend, Amy Ayers. And the mall closes. So they were going to make their way down to the shop. And they were going to help the girls close up. Nothing major. Just, you know, help fold napkins. Maybe do some dishes in the back. Uh, they were bringing a pizza, so they were just going to kind of like be fun girls, hang out, but also help us get our work done, so get out of here on time. And then um, I know the people can't see it, but I did post a picture of the girls so you can see Okay, um, mm-hmm. who we're talking about today. So I know when I worked at Bob Evans as a waitress, whenever there was a lot of uh, downtime, we took advantage of that. We would like marry the ketchups, we'd fill our honey, the salt, the pepper, put the sweet and lows out, like all the little things that we could do while it was dead. So this way, when it was time to close, all we had to do is wipe down our stations and we'd be pretty much like ready to go because we were in our 20s and we weren't married and we didn't have these little children things. <laughs> so we had drinks and places to be that we needed to like not be at work. We wanted to go out. Right. You were working smart. <laughs> yeah. So as expected, that's what the girls would do. They'd start flipping up the empty chairs that nobody was sitting at. They'd fill the napkin holders. They wiped on their tables. They wiped on the counters. After doing some minor touching up, Jennifer went out on the floor in the lobby and started working out there while Liza stayed behind the counter, working the register and helping the last customers that would sporadically come in right before the close. And it was known that Eliza was behind the counter because her number was attached to the register. And anybody who works in any kind of retail business where there's a register, you know, you always have that specific number that you have to punch in every time you do a transaction. And that helps people in orders know if it comes missing or anything funky happens or, you know, someone complains and they have to do a return, anything like that, your number is attached to the receipt. So you can tell who was the one to punch in what. So now that being said, it's almost time for closing and security cop comes in and he, he notices a guy in a green jacket walk the counter and he goes straight to the back. He's back there a while. And he even asks the girls like, what's he doing back there so long? And the girl just kind of shrug and they're like taking a piss, I guess. Like, wow. Um, they didn't seem too worried about it. So he comes back and he sits with another dude. Um, and he was sitting there just 
drinking a Sprite, which is kind of spishy because you're at a yogurt shop. And that's kind of more like a pizza joint where you just sit and drink a pop or whatever. Usually a yogurt shop, you're there eating a yogurt or ice cream. But the security guard tries to wait them out a little bit, but they were just taking a long time. So security guard soon leaves after and they move on their merry way. Um, A few minutes later, um, another woman comes in and it's pretty, it's like right almost there to close. And she grabs the yogurt for her and her husband to take on her way home. But she claims in the interview that when she walked through the door, she came to an abrupt stop, almost like something made her like short of breath. You know, like the little tingles you get on the back of your neck when you feel like something's not right. Yeah. Um, she kind of got that. Like her body was just telling her something wasn't right. She felt very uncomfortable and very uneasy about the situation. She tells the police that when she walked in, she saw two teenage guys sitting there at the table facing each other, but there was no yogurt. There was no food. There wasn't even a pop, which was kind of weird. Um, and they had some kind of bag or a sack between them. And one of them did have their hand in it. And it sounded like coins or marbles or some kind of jingling. Described that one of the guys was maybe Hispanic, but not sure. But it was definitely tan looking. She thought about asking if the girls, if they felt like they needed anything, if everything was okay. But she was watching them and they were laughing, joking, giggling. And they didn't seem like they had any concerns. So she didn't voice her concern. She thought, you know, maybe I'm just being over paranoid. She got her yogurt and she went on her way. Um, I also posted a picture for Crystal to see. This is what the yogurt shop looked like. So you can see there's booths to the left and then you booths to the right. There's tables down the center and then the counter is like at the very back. Okay, I see. Now, another couple walked in and they said this kind of the same thing as the other witness said. They said, the, you know, just as explained, Eliza was behind the counter. Uh, she was doing stuff. Jennifer was on the floor. She was doing cleanup. Two guys were in the booth. Again, not eating, not drinking, just sitting there, which made this couple feel a little uneasy as well. They're like, you know, it's teenage girls, but again, they didn't seem like they were that worried about it. So they talked among themselves and they said, you know, it's getting kind of late. These girls, you know, they want to get done, just, you know, finish up and eat. Now, the lady says that she was sitting facing the glass. So, you know, when it's dark outside, and you go to look out your window, you see your reflection more than you can actually see what's outside. Yeah. Okay. So that's what she was sitting across from her husband. So she could see the glass, but she wasn't, she was watching the kids in the booth more than she was watching anything else. Cause again, she felt uneasy about them being in there and she couldn't really see much again, like I said, cause it was just a reflection, but she did note that, one guy had like a brown puffy coat on and uh, they just, I don't know, it felt weird and suspicious, um, which her red flags. But again, they ended up just finishing up their stuff. And sadly, they didn't 
speak up about anything either. They were, before they left, though, they did eavesdrop on the girls, and they did state that they felt very strongly that boys were kind of listening to everything the girls were saying as well, which I really wish she would have maybe would have took one of the side and be like, hey, uh, I need some assistance in the girls' bathroom. There's no toilet paper or something, and just maybe walked her back there and voiced some concerns, you know? Right, because if the girls clearly weren't, you know, paying attention or noticing really, she could have like raised her awareness and kind of been like, Hey, just keep an eye on them, you know, just something. So then she could have been like, Oh, maybe I need to like pay attention to what's going on. Yes. Uh, I'm hundred percent agree. And they also remember that it was kind of strange because the guys talking to each other, they were just sitting there doing like nothing. So that's kind of weird too. Like they're not even in, with each other they're just like almost like they're waiting for something or someone or you know I don't know but you notice that the other guy was slimmer and had light brown hair which is I mean that's kind of a good description I guess from just a reflection but right it's hard because I mean she didn't just sit there and stare at him either like yeah you're trying to be in you know a little not noticeable that you're watching them too. Right. She probably wanted to be discreet about it. <laughs> yes. So now it's 1047 and they're talking to each other and they're saying, you know, like I said, let's go, let these girls finish up and head out. And that's what they did. They were left and they left the two gentlemen in the store behind them as they left the store. So now it's 1050 and it's routine and there's a protocol for the girls to lock the door. This stops customers from coming in last minute and want any yogurt, which in a working restaurant business, you know how annoying and frustrating it is when you just cleaned your station and you're ready to go. But then customers walk in at the very last second and place that order and you're like, son of a gun. <laughs> Seriously. Which I will say, me and my husband are very conscious of that because we both worked in the restaurant industry. So if we pull up somewhere at a restaurant and it's 8.30 and we close, it says closing at 9, we will pull out and go someplace else. We're like, yeah, no, they're trying to get out. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because that's like probably prime cleanup time for them to just like get everything finished and then leave. Especially in the sit-down restaurant because you're messing up the grills, you're messing up the workstation, you're messing up the table. Like, it, you're just affecting everybody's station. Right. So now we know they did that. They did the protocol of locking the door because the keys were still in the lobby door when they did their cleanups. They know that the napkins were filled on the tables and that the chairs were flipped over except the one that the two creepy guys were sitting in earlier that the witnesses claimed they were worried about. Those were the only, that was the only booth that didn't have stools or chairs on top of it. So who was stopping them from sitting there cleaning that table? So the next question that the detectives asked themselves is what happened? Did the girls ask the customers, hey, you know, can you please leave? We got to clean up. And they get mad and pull a gun out and rob them and murder them. Did they leave and come back around the back? 
And I say this because it was later found that the back door had been propped open. So did somebody earlier go and act like they were using the bathroom, but really sneak into the back room, prop open the door that they wouldn't have even paid attention or noticed. And then later after close, go back around inside. Um, Nobody knows 100% of what happened. The only thing they know for sure is that four innocent lives were stolen that night. So around 11.03 is when the crime started, and that was when Eliza hit no sale on the registers. That's when the killers took around $540 from the register. Um, I'm going to give a trigger warning because it gets brutal. These suspects did not take the money and run. They did some luxe next level horrible shit so i just want people to um realize it's going to get a little brutal here at 11:48 a cop drives by noticing a place up in smoke so he radios it in and the firefighters rushed over and they stated that they had no idea what they were about to walk into it was very unexpected and it was not even close to being on their radar because this is Austin, Texas in the 90s. And it was not a big city like it is today. And crime was very low there. It was also common that restaurants would forget to turn their stoves off after close and that they assumed that the problem was that somebody left the stove on because the smoke was so black. It was so thick that it covered the windows completely. The restaurant Team and firefighters, police officers, they all stated that had they known what they were walking into, different measures would have been taken. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm just going to assume that there was a lot of remorse and sadness about this case. So maybe they wish they would have done something different or something more. But as you hear the story, I don't think there's anything they could have done to change anything. Uh, like I said, the smoke, it was so thick that they could barely see. The firemen were everywhere. They're fighting this fire. They're trying to put it out. And as they make their way through the restaurant, that's when they notice there was a foot on the ground. Now, at this point, the firemen, they see the foot and is very charred. And they immediately realize that something is wrong and it is way bigger than they thought this was going to be. It was seconds later, but before they realized it, there was another body. And then there was a third body. And the way they found the bodies, they were naked and they were bound and they were stacked on top of each other. Now, this was a very gruesome and horrifying scene. And that's when they immediately knew that this isn't just a fire. This is arson. This is murder. This is a crime scene. Now, John Jones was a homicide detective on duty that night, and it just so happens that he was on a ride-along with the news crew, and it was a very slow night, and nothing was really happening. Again, remember, it's 91 in Austin, so like I said, very little crime happening, but it was just a coincidence that they got a terrible one on that night, and when the call came in, the news crew he was with him. So instead, this ended up being like one of the biggest crime stories that probably ever happened to Austin, Texas, then and probably even till now. 
So Detective Jones got to the scene and he was able to walk through the crime scene. He could not believe what he was looking at. He was horrified, terrified at what he was seeing. Now, all the bodies were found in the back of the store. But the horrific thing was that the heat fire was so bad that the girls actually started to melt and become part of the floor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I know. I can't even wrap my head around it. Oh, my gosh. There has been retelling of the story a few times. Most of it states that the girls were all up on top of each other, but it's never been 100% verified because the theory that they're going with was that they were stacked. But now there was the fourth girl and she was closer to like a, a door or like closer to the front. And they don't know if it was the fire hose like pushed her off or because she was the only one which I'll talk about in a little bit, but she was the only one that was shot twice. So she might've where she landed, like she was shot and then maybe crawled away or tried to get away. So she was shot again okay. and they just left her there, but she was the only one that wasn't on the staff. But then, like I said, some people state did the hose pressure from the fireman push her off and like kind of slide her. We don't know. Right. Uh, So Homicide said that Sarah was laying on the floor by the back door. Eliza was lying on top of her and Jennifer was next to them. So Amy was the farthest away, closest to the interest of the store. Like I said, it could have been because of the water was so, um, we can't tell if she was on top or that's where she landed. But also Amy was the least burned out of all of them. So she might not have been positioned with the other girls. She was lying on her right side to where her body was actually somewhat still recognizable. Detective John said that it was Amy, who was also the youngest one that gave ancestral assault has also took place. Now, lying on the ground, pointing up towards her pelvic bone between Amy's legs was an ice scoop. Some report that she could have been assaulted with it, Others report and states that it could have fallen during the fire or during the struggle, and it just kind of landed there. Um, There's no actual proof that she was sexualized with it, but it could be a a terrible coincidence that it was lying there or it could have been left there. And there's been different theories on that as well. Okay, so normally no rape kits would be performed on the scene. Um, When a girl is raped or tortured, they usually escort them out before they do it. But because this was almost like we need to know like immediately what we're dealing with, um, the detective wanted to do it now. Um, And this would break protocol. And he said, you know, we're doing it now. So much evidence has been destroyed because of water damage, fire damage. I do not want to risk losing anything else. Now, the um did not like this, and he was just kind of fighting the officers left and right. Like, no, 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 that's not protocol. It's not protocol. Finally, they got the guy on board, and they're like, we have to do it. And he was just like, fine, whatever, just do it. But he was being a real big dick about it, and he was just 
you could tell that there was a lot of his hostility between the ME and the detective. Mm-hmm. So it's like very, um, what's the word? Like you could just feel the tension, like what they were right. trying to work. And uh, it kind of bugs me because it's like, I get it. You're a medical examiner. That's your job. But at the end of the day, shouldn't we all want the same results? Right. Like they both ideally want the same outcome. So it's like, why add the extra irritation of like having like this tension between you? Yeah. Like, I don't understand what the big deal was. If it was a pride thing or, you know, too many captains, but the detective, I mean, he's let's, I mean, I feel like he was kind of right. Like, let's get all the evidence we can so we catch the sicko that did this, you know? Right, exactly. So mistakes were made. Um, they did not swab any of those for Excel. Um, they were at the shop, and we know this because everybody at the scene agreed that they did not smell any accelerant. They did not see any accelerant on the floor, on the girls, not in the restaurant. But that shouldn't matter. Protocol says you must swab no matter what, especially as a fire. And nobody did it from the ME office, which a lot of people are going back to think that because of the hostility between the two, maybe the mistake was made there because the ME was so pissed off at the detective that he didn't do his job properly. Right. I don't know. Um, but all we know is Austin was not ready for this. Like in this lifetime, they literally had one other arson crime ever. And when I tell you that these mistakes that were made were major, they were pretty major. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a major one for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'll, some other things like, so half the people on the scene, they didn't put their foot covers on. Nobody busted the bathroom for fingerprints. Um, the materials that were found with the girls, they didn't take. Um, they didn't check the lock. They didn't take the lock to see if it was with or if there's a fingerprints on them. Um, there was definitely so many mistakes made that did not help this case at all. Wow. That's, that's a lot. Like those are really vital things. I feel like that could make or break a case. Like, yeah, that's like intern first day on your intern job that you forget. Cause you're brand fucking new. Right. Like that's, that's just insane to me. The amount of things that they didn't check and the foot coverings too. Like it's just stupidity at that point. Yeah. Go home and watch criminal minds. People. I would have even known to do that. Okay? Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> what does Reed teach you? Everything. Exactly. They need to go back to the drawing board there. <laughs> so the ME office did state have been sexually assaulted. Now they can't rule out if they all were or all weren't because the girls were so charred that due to the severe badly burns it's inclusive to say for sure um now all the girls have been in the head execution style except for amy she was different she was the farthest away she was also shot twice now they were all shot with a 22 caliber 
caliber, except for these. She had one on the side of her head, which was 22. But when that didn't take Amy out, there was another clip, and that one was from a 380. She also had a bruise under her chin, which shows that she had been struck before she was shot. Also, evidence shows that Amy had also been strangled before she was shot as well. Now, we don't know if all the girls tortured or just Amy. Again, the bodies were so burned that it's hard to make a call on exactly what happened. Now, we can figure out who would do this. Was it a robbery gone wrong or was it targeted for these girls like they knew they were in there and just wanted to have their way and do gruesome savage crime shit no matter which way it falls uh the detective that like none of this makes sense at all the girls didn't have any enemies they didn't get into a lot of trouble you know they had records there was they weren't on record for any crime or you know criminal activity stuff they were all young so why these girls they're guessing that it just had to be in sadly luck of the draw and i don't mean luck but short end of the stick you know what i mean right yeah like just a an unfortunate coincidence that wrong time wrong them. place yeah. yeah. Um, now the register showed at 11.03 is when they gave up the money and they didn't even put up a fight because it shows, you know, the drawer opened, take the money, you guys can go, bye. Right, yeah, like, please take it and leave. Yes. The police department did not want anybody to know anything about the case. They kept it very close to the vest and they... Didn't even say how the girls died. They basically gave no evidence, nothing on early to the case. Um, they didn't want them to know where the fire started. They didn't want them to know how much money was taken. They didn't want them to know the girls were abused. They didn't want them to know anything down to even the ice cream scoop. Like they kept everything super quiet. They kept it out of the public as much as they could. There's actually an interview. Um, if you research it, it's on you can find it on YouTube. And it has detective live that night and people are asking questions. And he's like, I can't give you that. I can't give you that. I can't give you that. And they're like, well, what can you give us? He's like, basically what I just gave you, which was basically stating that it was turning into a homicide scene, but they it's always so it was kind of annoying to listen to it. He's just like, I can't give you that. I can't give you that. It's like, well, then it's why, like, are, why are, you are you even talking out here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it was kind of annoying to watch. Yeah. Uh, but he basically goes on to say that there's four victims. They were struck in the back of the head. And now it's a homicide investigation. That's really all he put out. I mean, I kind of get why they do that a little bit because it's like, they're trying to figure everything out and they don't want the interference with the public and or they don't want the person who did this to know what they know exactly yet. A hundred percent. And they also, as I'll go on to say, that they kept everything close to the vest because they were scared of 
which I don't understand why people do this, but they do false confessions. Right. Um, anybody trying to take credit for it that didn't do it, um, it would be immediately ruled out. So they wanted the perpetrators or perpetrator to be more confident on the confession if they confessed and they wanted to nail the person that did this, but they didn't want the gossip train to hit the ground running before it was on the news. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but I don't understand why people do false confessions. I would not confess to a murder that I did not do. Like, no, like I feel like there, there has to be like different motives on why people would do that because it's like you get literally nothing out of it except going to friggin' prison. Or and, in some states, like, death. Yeah, or death penalty, yeah. So now it's getting really weird because they're getting dozens of confessions to people saying they did this. What? Like, what? Yes. I don't, I don't get it. I know. It. I, girl, oh. the whole time I'm racing, I'm like, why? It trips me out, um, man. <laughs> I know. Um, and like I said, I'm very confused. I don't know why people would confess to a crime, especially, especially one severe as this one, because this you're going down like this is terrible. This is gruesome. This is yeah, sick shit, you know, and not only are you going to prison, but there could be a death penalty on the table. And on top of that, you're putting target on your back for killing young women. Um, you might not even make it to death penalty before somebody else takes you out. Right. Like, why would you want people to think that you did that when you didn't? Like, that's so weird. I don't know. We'll have to research that one day and talk about it on the show. Why false confessions. Let that be a topic. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be a good one. But the detective, one by one, realized their stories didn't match up. And he would be eliminating the ones that didn't make sense. And the pool was deeper in one point they had like 360 suspects damn um, but one week later there was a gentleman a suspect if you will that really struck out to the detective and his name was maurice pierce 16 and he was arrested at the mall for carrying a 22 gun the exact same weapon used in the crime as it question Maurice he was ready to confess but he wasn't confessing himself no no he was claiming that he gave his gun to his forest burn and he was the one that used the gun to commit the crime sounds like a big break right everybody's pumped up right so in forest they start questioning him immediately and he starts denying it saying absolutely not um, he did confess joyriding in a stolen car with Maurice and two other guys, Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen. <clears throat> no relation to Bruce. <laughs> now, Michael Scott, the guy from The Office, right? Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, if you're confessing to joyriding and stealing a car, like, you'd have to kind of think, like, okay, if there can about a stolen car I didn't even know about like maybe he really didn't do it because you got to be pretty like nailed to the wall to like okay okay I stole a car we went joyriding but I didn't do this because now you just got yourself in trouble for stealing a car yeah so 
I don't know. They also, in some cases, claimed that they had gone and seen the movie Rocky Horror Picture Show. But later, you're about to meet another detective, Bill Hole. And he claims that he looked up and that movie wasn't playing that night. But I don't freaking believe him because, well, he's a dill hole. And you'll see yeah. in the story. Um, I did post a picture for KK to see. These are the four guys that was on their radar. Okay. So as much as they wanted to solve the case and these guys be it, after listening to the guys talk, there really wasn't much details that matched the story. So really they had nothing to hold them on. Did the ballistics test on the gun and it did come back as not a match. Um, so the gun that Maurice and Forrest had, it did not match the gun at the crime scene. So Joan had scratched them off the list of suspects. They went ahead and they did a profile on them of what the two men would be, I guess, like a profile on who they think the suspects would be. And they said that one would be dominant. He was the kind of the take charge. He was probably an underachiever in high school, gets angry easy. Um, drugs, alcohol is probably an addiction. He is an enforcer more so than a punisher or a pusher. I'm sorry, he's an enforcer and like a pusher. He likes to give the orders, maybe not really do it. He does not like authority. He's probably unemployed. Um, if he had a job, they're very minuscule type jobs, didn't hold on long, can't keep a job. Um, doesn't like to get in the confrontation, but he will if he feels he needs to. But he likes to be the one to hold the upper hand. Um, he's not very dependable, so that's probably why he would lose his jobs all the time. Uh, he's probably living in his mom's basement due to not working steadily. He lives in the neighborhood. He probably goes to ICBY quite a bit, uh, visited there quite a bit, and possibly abuse of women most likely has a criminal record. Sounds like a stellar guy. Uh now, also in a profile, they put together that he shows no remorse. He does not feel guilty. Um, he might stand kind of offish, a little nervous, not because of guilt, but because of whoever his partner is. He's nervous that his partner is ready to talk, that he might be the guy to bring him down and everything may fall apart. After they did the crime, they probably jetted to a safe place to collect their thoughts. Uh, maybe they even went back to the crime scene because, as we know, in true crime world, most people that commit a murder or a crime, they go back to the crime of the scene or, like, the funeral. They they want to know what's going on, and they do it, like, under radar. Yeah, they kind of, like, linger around just to, like, see yes. what's going on. Yes. Um, so... They feel that they might not be talking to anybody anymore. Um, there was probably a violent breakup between the two. They went their own ways. They also state that they were not in school for a while, maybe didn't show up for work for a while. They moved to a different city. They went to a different town. Wherever it is, they were laying low and they were missing from their normal life for some periods of time. Now, sadly, this could be anyone because that is like a very broad to anyone with a record of a troubled past right 
Detective Jones ends up taking a break. Um, he got a little bit of PTSD on this case. Um, he thought about it night and day. That's all he did. He This case gave him straight up nightmares. It was so bad. Um, it affected his marriage, his family, his friends. He just shut down for a while. Like He had to step back. It was making him fall apart in his private life. That's understandable, too. I mean, with a case like this, horrific like I can't even imagine like thinking about it constantly like that has to be so mentally draining and just negative overall for your life and especially when you know the biggest crime in the city is probably like some shoplifting or jaywalking you know what I mean right yeah so even the stress of just a case like this too telling the public it was still strong but Jones had doubts he had new leads People were getting pulled off. I'm sorry, he had no needs. People were getting pulled off. He actually got promoted three years later and put on a different case. And then eight years would go by before there was any more movement on this case. So by that time, it's 1999 and Hector Polenko. Hector. Is he the, the dill hole? Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> the dill hole. Um, he was the new lead investigator on the case and he read files and he thought everybody thought going back to those four boys, he really believed that those were his guys and he was going to prove it. So he brings Maurice back and Forrest and Maurice and Forrest are holding strong saying like, dude, I didn't do it. I, you know, wasn't there now. They're not 17 no more. Now they're 26. They're grown men. Okay. Um, they've been interrogating Michael Scott, who's not that strong, and admits that his memory is terrible because, and my dude, it's been eight years. I don't remember the detail of my day that day, you know? Right, yeah. But the detective Planko said that they, they're they not here to say that you did it. We're just kind of here to help you remember that you did it. You yeah, know? Like, that's what they do. <laughs> which is really fucked up. Like, yeah. So they're trying plant a seed in this guy's head you know and it pisses me off because it's detectives like this who lose what is important do you want to nail somebody that bad that you'll put the blame on anybody just to get the confession and let yeah. the real the real walk or be free just as long as the case doesn't go unsolved like and later it'll come out that he definitely a lot of false confessions by overfeeding people and bullying them into false confessions. Yeah, that's super fucked up. Like, why would you? The whole point is to get the correct person, is to like nail the right guy. Like, not just saying like, "Oh, yeah, I I won the case." Like, that's not that's not the point. That's like an ego thing, and that just shows that he's not a good detective if that's how he views things. No, it's he's not. And at one point, Michael says that I think I need a lawyer. And he leaves and he comes back and he's like, okay, okay. And he walks out and then he comes back and he starts asking him again. It's like, dude, he said he wants a lawyer. So seven hours later, Michael Scott admits to holding the gun and shooting it, saying that he was being yelled at, that he did cry, but he pulled the trigger only one time. And then he kind of gave the gun back. One, he brings in a revolver to help Michael remember. So this is a detective now, and he jabs it in the back of his head, and says, "Do you remember now?" And 
even questioned it. Polenko was just like relaxed. It was only my fingers, but the people said no, it was the gun. Um, Either way, I feel like that's screwed up, dude. Yeah, that's a fucked up method. Yeah. And, you know, where's the good cop? It's usually good cop, bad cop. Can we get a good cop in the room with them, too? Like I know, to be like, uh, bro, lay off. But it sounds like Polenko was probably a dick, so everybody was probably scared to stand up to him. Yeah. So um, whatever helps get the confession, whatever it takes, that's what Polenko would do. Um, They kept pushing Michael for details that only he would know what the killer would know. And so they started with this. How'd you tie the girl up? And at first he's like, um, I didn't, Robert did. And then he's like, okay. He's like, well, it takes two people. So come on, tell us what you used. He's like, um, maybe it was like a t-shirt that they used. He's like, okay, okay. But what else did you use? Oh, we used a cord. No, it wasn't a cord. Um, Maybe some napkins. Nah, napkins work. What else did you use? What else? Like, obviously, this is just saying random shit. <laughs> like, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I'm sitting here and I'm listening to some of this interview being recorded. And I just want to be like, excuse me, leave this objection. Hello. Like, right. Clearly, he doesn't <laughs> know what was used to tie them up. Like, he's just literally just saying random shit. So next, they interview Robert. And Robert's saying, I would know if I was and I wasn't there. And they kept asking him for details. And he's like, silly, dude, it's been like seven years, okay? Like, I don't know the details of my life, but I know I was there. And Polanco saying, are you the coldest mother ever, ever? You got to be the coldest mother ever to keep that a secret. Are you a cold-blooded murderer, sir? Are you? And he's like, no, sir, I'm not. Like, and that Maurice and they told him that his people confessed. And let's just, he's like, let's just court then. You think I did this? I didn't do this. But if you think I did, lock me up. Let's go to trial. Let's do this. He was a more like oh okay (laughs) you know right and uh he's like because i didn't do this so after hours and hours and hours he they end up getting confessions from two of the guys robert and michael um nobody brings up the rape until the cops actually bring it up and they kept saying like what else did you do and he's like i don't know what you're talking about he's like come on what else did you do? He's like, I didn't know more. You did more. Let's just, just, just say it. And finally the detectives are like, just, just tell me how you raped her. And he's like, I didn't rape her. He's like, come on, you know, you did. And he was so tired and so defeated that Robert's just like, fine, whatever. I put my D in her P. Oh, and that, that was all they needed. See, I just feel like, I feel like this happens a lot. And it's so hard to wrap your mind around it. Like I feel like for everybody who's listening and and who's people who've never been through that, like it's so hard to wrap your mind around like, well, if they confess, they must have done it. But it's like, I feel like it's so hard to understand the place that some people are in when 
for days and hours upon hours. They're just being hassled with questions and trying to like push them to say specific things. You know, people just break and like, they're like, I'm just going to say what they want to hear because I need to get out of here. But they don't really think about like, well, that's going to fuck your life up, dude. You got to, you got to really stick to saying you did not do this. And like, that's all you can say. It reminds me of the case. It's probably the the first true crime case that brought me and you together. Oh, heart. Oh, heart. Um, the one you came over and you had to watch the second season and I didn't. It was the one where the the guy from Wisconsin, his brother yes. was kind of mentally and then yes. like they totally just like screwed him over. Now he's in prison. They for sure took advantage of that kid. I don't know. I really I don't can't remember know. the name, but you know what I'm talking about. Making a murderer or something like yes. that. Yes, his younger brother. Yeah, I think it was his nephew. Or um, nephew, yeah. But yeah, I don't. I truly don't know, really, what actually happened with that case. I mean, they don't know, but like, I don't know what I believe. But I know that that kid, they definitely took advantage of him because he had, like you said, like mental struggles, and his mom wasn't in the room with him. No lawyer was given to him. Yeah. And he didn't know this stuff. Like he wasn't educated on that. And they were just badgering him for hours and hours and leading him to say things that didn't actually happen. And it's like, that's where it's like, that gets really cloudy and really messed up. And it's just like, that's where the justice system is like, you know, one part of the justice system is like messed up. Yep. And now if you look on the paper, Robert and Michael's confession, um, they kind of batch the same the timeline a little bit. Now you got to think if Polinko though, and another detective was the one that interviewed both people. Of course, they're going to match. They pushed the same way to both people. They seated both the suspects in their brains. Of course, it's going to come out the same way. Of course, it's going to match. Right. So probably Polinko puts his little profile together, and it states, you know, six Mar- Maurice was the mastermind. Robert and Michael were the ones that pulled it and Forrest was just the lookout. So now word gets around and even back to Detective Jones and he's not buying this. He's like, I really don't believe it was these guys in this day, even even on this day. I do not believe that it was these guys, but I don't have control of this case any longer because he was promoted. So now it's about, about to go to court and out of the four, only Michael and Robert would be arrested because Maurice and Forrest had no confessions and they had no solid evidence to tie them there. So they had no choice but to drop charges on those two. Okay, so now it's about to go to court and out of the four, only Michael and Robert would be arrested. Maurice and Forrest, they did not confess to anything and they had no solid evidence to tie them to the crime. So the charges had to be dropped. So with the confessions of Robert and Michael, they were really hoping that would be enough to nail them because that's all they had. They did try to recant their confessions, saying they were tired, they were forced, they didn't get their lawyers, like all the stuff. And it was too late. Confessions had already been made and now they have to go to court. Um, They did use Michael against Robert and Robert against Michael, which is very sketchy and very well played out by this detective. Um, even though it was very shadily done. It's trial time, and basically they used recordings of the confessions in each other's trial. They did not let them go to each other's trial 
they were scared when they got on stand, they would recant their confessions and well, wouldn't make look good now, would it? And it would look very unconstitutional and almost make them look like their freedom of speech and rights were taken. So let's not let that happen. Yeah. Uh, so they did try to state that confessions didn't match up in the case, but neither one of the guys knew, like neither one of the guys knew how the back door got open. Both men, the girls were stacked up on top of each other and that there was accelerant used to start the fire. Now, if you go back through all the evidence, the paperwork, the details, it's been stated more than once that no accelerant was used. The fire station, police station, everybody claimed that they did not smell it. It was not on the floor. It was not on the girls. Uh, it was not anywhere around the girls. The fire actually started on a top shelf in the back room. Now, what screwed up was that years later, paperwork had been changed, saying that the girls were the pin of the fire after the confessions that the boys had said. Now, one of the big problems is, if you remember in the beginning of the story, it said that there was evidence was dropped, that there was no jobs, no DNA. So unfortunately, there was no way to fight that there is no proof. If people could just do their jobs. I know. Then we'd have much better outcomes. Um, so in 2001, and they're trying to go to false route. This is a very hard fight because around then it wasn't as common for false confessions. So therefore, the jury would find it very hard to believe that both men were false convicted. Um, but Michael ended up getting sentenced to death. Robert gets sentenced to life in prison. And they did try to appeal many times over the years, but they did spend a lot of time in jail before anything was even granted. Now, they did base their appeals both on them not being able to face their accusers, which is a big stated earlier. The higher courts agreed that they did lose their constitutional right and was granted their appeal. In 2006, the courts threw out Robert's convic conviction, and one year Michael Sachs was thrown out as well. Now, this doesn't mean that they were set free, and they they still had to stay in prison until prosecution decided where they were going and if they were going to go to court or have a new trial or a retrial. Um, in 2008, the defense decided to make a bold move. And they put in a repeal to have all evidence reopened with new DNA technology, and they wanted it ran again. Now, this is pretty brave because if any of them were guilty, if they had any ounce of them being there, this is going to say you were there. And this would send them right back to prison life. They would have no appeals. They would have no chance at a retrial. This is like make or break. Like you have to have as a, so much faith in your client that you believe they're innocent because once this is run, if they say, yeah, it's a match, they're screwed. Like game over. Right. And they it to these guys and they were like, run it, bitch. Okay. <laughs> we were not there. Um, 
So they went to the DNA evidence and what they did find, they found some DNA in the rape kit that was somewhat safe. Um, and funny enough, it did not match Robert or Michael. It didn't even match Maurice or Forrest. They had no connection to these four guys whatsoever. Bam. So whose DNA, so who's DNA was it? Who else was there? Dude. So this is mind blowing. Like the defense is like, okay, let's go get the correct guys. Okay. Cause uh, this here, it's not working for my guys. So uh, we need to let them go. Like this ain't working for me. Yeah. Uh, the DA, they doubled down and said, nope, we're going to look through the stuff again because we're, we're sure it's these boys. Like seriously, like your pride is so strong that you're going to let a murderer walk free just so you can't say we fucked up these guys. You're still going to stay focused on these four. DNA does not lie. So basically instead of saying, okay, maybe somebody else did it. Maybe there's another partner somewhere. I don't know. Now they're saying they had a fifth guy. There's another guy to this group. Um, okay. So in the eight years in prison, the eight, maybe it wasn't eight years, but the years that they were in prison, the hours of interrogation, the gun to the back of the dude's head, all this stuff. You don't think at any point someone would have said there's one more guy you don't have. Right. Yeah. They're just, they're just trying to make up anything now. They're like, mm, there just must be a new guy. This is just ridiculous. Is yeah. This is mm -hmm. like, uh, we do not like Polanco. No. So. But this pleases me to say, and I want to share with you guys, that he actually got in trouble on another case to where it actually proved arranged confession. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, and by opening that, they found so many more that he did this over and over and over again. And this was embarrassing to, like, lead detectives and, like, all his little shiny decorated I you know, head detective on my team. Yeah, he's a head douchebag is what he is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he uh, he basically got in trouble for all his bullshit. He sent a lot of guilty people on the streets and a lot of innocent people in jail, all because of his pride. Ridiculous. They wanted to do another look at the case, but at this point, they have nothing to go on. So we need go and they actually went to jersey and they brought in some of the juror from the trial and them and they stated that seven of the jury members if they would have known that dna evidence was taken they would not have found those guys guilty wow the fact that that's just so crazy like the fact that they didn't know, because like, yeah, that would have made a huge difference. Like just that knowledge alone. Of course it would. But yeah, Blanco's a, anyway. So <laughs> in 2028 or in October 28th, 2009, let both the gentlemen go. And now this was an understanding that it, they didn't necessarily find that they were 100% innocent, but it does state that they don't have anything to hold them on. Um, and that obviously, you know, DNA showed that they weren't there. But 
if for some reason they wanted to recharge them with anything to this case, if something did pop up, they can be recharged and it would not be considered double jeopardy in this case. It's very sticky and a lot of red tape, but you got to decide, are you going to sign the paper and agree to that and be free? Or are you going to just stay in prison? You know what I mean? I'm going to sign that paper. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you know you're innocent, why not sign it? Yeah, 100%. It also makes it so the men can't sue the court or the DA office for false imprisonment. So like I said, it's a lot to go through, but you got to make a decision. What is your freedom worth to you? Right. Now, there was a second set of DNA found, which, again, it makes it very hard to put it on these four gentlemen. But hopefully one day we will still be able to figure out who that DNA belongs to. Now, we are much farther in technology since 2009, and I can only pray that we keep testing. Um, now, Maurice did die in 2010 for an unrelated case. It was an altercation with the police, but not due to this one. Uh, the other three men maintain their innocence and keep their stories. They've never changed it. And I don't think anybody else has even taken a new critical look at this case. But if you go back, remember the beginning of the story when we were talking about the guy in the green coat with the security guard? Um, yeah. And the ex-cop interaction? That guy, like, how long was he there? Why was he only drinking a pop? at a yogurt place why did he ask are you a security guard or are you a cop oh security guard okay and went and sat at the table like that's all fishy 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 yeah very and like but we also talked like he went to the bathroom for a long time how hard would it have been why he went to the bathroom instead of going straight make a quick right prop the door open come back out nothing to see here dude you know who yeah. knows how long the door was open? Um, so these are just certain things to think about. Like he had a friend there. Uh, multiple people, witnesses came in, said they seen them. They got body chills and bad vibes from looking at these two dudes. Those two guys were never questioned ever. Um, so why not get a DNA genetic? Why not use the technology today? We've come so far. Um, but this is the thing. If they open up a place and they do a DNA and they find the right person, that'll expose that all the mistakes that they made with those other guys. So do they keep the case closed from, or I won't say closed because it's not really closed as an unsolved case. So they don't have to admit all the wrong things that they did, all of the screw-ups that they did. Or do we open it up, nail the right guys, and apologize and own up to our mistakes? Hmm. So it really sucks that if these detectives can't can't put their say, ego you know, aside. Yeah, and who knows if it's even the same de detectives anymore? But a different detective open it. You know what I mean? Like right? Yeah, exactly. So, we'll get the original then, guy back on it. Yeah. Yeah. And in any way, another screwed up part is like even the family can't request them to run a day, which is really stupid. And any other defense can't have them run a DNA, DNA test. 
unless they're accused. So that's like fucked up. So nobody can run the DNA unless they're accused. So that makes no back, sense. So unless they go back and they point it at, you know, Robert and Michael, they can say, okay, we're going to run the DNA test. Then it can get ran. But unless they get reaccused or they bring someone accused, that little DNA they have in there, that could solve the cases just sitting in a little box right now. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And the family doesn't even have any rights to it. So that sucks. Yeah. That's so, really messed up. Like, it makes no sense at all. Yep. I know. So, um, yeah, that's it's, it hasn't been solved. It's been, you know, 30 years plus years by now. And uh, hopefully one day somebody will open it back up and figure out who took these young, beautiful girls' lives. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's just been so many years at this point and there's been so much back and forth and so much dishonesty and just like manipulation within the case. It's like detectives need to realize what the most important thing about this case is, is those four girls and like finding justice for who actually did this, like not their ego game of trying to be right and trying to just close it. Yep. And I got, there's other information and there's stories upon stories. This is a very long case. Um, there's so much information that I didn't do. There's actually, I think a book out on it that somebody wrote that has a lot more information in the book. Um, however, I did not read this book. Usually I'm one who's like, Oh, I'll read the book. Before you. I did not make the book this time. Um, but I got a lot of information from truecrimeedition.com, cbsnews.com, um, YouTube, watching views. Uh, it's it's everywhere. So you can look it up and, you know, if you want to hear more on it. And I did a fact check and it is a Mandela effect. The Monopoly Man did not or ever have a monocle crystal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot it about was- that. <laughs> It was the peanut guy. Oh my gosh. See, these things just trip me up, all of them. Because I'm like, if you go through the list of all the freaking Mandela effects, it's just wild. It's just wild. (laughs) But thank you for looking that up. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) You are quite welcome. Freaking peanut man. Oh, well, that's such a sad case, though. Um, I mean, just uh, when they're unsolved, it's just I mean, even when they're solved, they're really sad. But like when they're unsolved, it's just really sad for like the family members left behind for those girls just sitting, wondering for years. I know. Hopefully one day the truth will come out. I mean, we've done cases before where it's literally taken so many years before anybody was caught but hopefully it won't be too much longer before they figure out who did this we can only hope and we can only pray right exactly justice for the yogurt shop girls yes definitely 
And if I was their parents, I would be fighting for that DNA. Yeah, that's the really messed up part. It's like, that's such a vital piece, like, of the whole thing that could like bring everything together and the fact that nobody can do anything about it is stupid like that needs to be changed that like procedure needs to be needs to be changed absolutely well thank you for sticking in and listening to another hwc episode um if you have a case that you want us to talk about whether it's solved unsolved missing funny horror movie crime whatever it is email us at horrorwineandcrime.com or hit us up on any of the socials and we will do it yes yes we'll cover pretty much anything you guys want us to so hit us up and thanks Lo, for sharing this story today it was definitely i was gonna say a good one it's a sad one but like you know yeah like i said there's so much more that i didn't cover but I mean, it could go on to be a three-parter if I wanted to. Just try to smush it all into one the best I could. Yeah. Well, you did a good job because there was definitely a lot of (laughs) a lot of crazy details in there. Well, it's Saturday for us, and I have family fun day. I gotta go have fun with my family. Why did you say it like that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just I gotta to- go have fun with my family. <laughs> so, I love them dearly. Yes, you will them. have you will have a fun family day. <laughs> so well, on that note, we got to go. Stay creepy, guys. Bye guys. Bye.